Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. We're excited to have you join our new series, Choked. This series is about how life events choke us from God's own heart and what we must do to overcome those events. While you are here, be sure to click subscribe and invite your friends to listen. Here's the message from Pastor Brian. situation contemplating the worst outcome of what could happen and when I do I'm choked ma'am glad you're here with us today the Lord is in this place amen he's faithful to show himself to do great things and to those who will open their hearts to him he is faithful when I was young, one of my favorite things to do in the backyard was to go and get some honeysuckle. And it's a skill, really. It's a trained skill you have to be trained in. Children, parents, you need to teach your children this. You go get some honeysuckle. You have to pluck the little bloom off. And if you carefully will pinch the little green end and pull it ever so gently, when that little piece comes through, it will produce this tiny drop of nectar. And in that moment, you have to be quick. You go, <laughs> and in what is just almost just the size of a pinhead is this delicious, sweet taste, right? Any fans of honeysuckle here? Ever done that before? All right, thank you. I'm not alone. Thank you. So I couldn't wait to teach my kids, and of course did. My mom had honeysuckle when we lived in Oak Cliff. She had it when we moved out here to Ovilla, and it grew wild on the fence, and it was always there. I didn't realize that honeysuckle, once you planted it, will go everywhere. It's one of those vines. In fact, I didn't realize this. Honeysuckle is listed as one of those, what they call, invasive vines. Like it's a dangerous thing. I'm like, honeysuckle? Come on. It smells amazing. It tastes awesome. It's great to have with your children and your grandkids, have a fun little experience here, but Honeysuckle, invasive vine, it is true. It's listed as a vine that is like the English ivy we talked about last week or like bamboo, an invasive plant. Honeysuckle can grow 18 feet or more in length in the vine and six and a half feet in its root. That's a lot. An invasive plant. I was reading, and the state of Texas calls it invasive. In fact, um, what's I reading about the other states? There are 46 states in the United States where it is prohibited to be sold. How about that? And in Connecticut, Illinois, and Montana, and Vermont, you can't import it in either because it's considered invasive. They don't want it because even though it smells delicious, Taste wonderful, nice to have on your, on your fence. It is an invasive vine that will spread and it will take over whatever space it finds its way into. Imagine that. Something that has a great appearance, something that has great taste to us could actually be destructive. 
interesting principle. The scripture says there are some things like that that have an appearance of something interesting, an appearance of something delightful, but can be completely destructive to having in your heart and life. We've been looking at this series here, Choked. We've been looking at how Jesus wants to come and plant into our life, invest into our life, put truth into our heart, but he's looking for soil that is rich, that is free from distractions, and free from other things that can actually choke out his word. We saw a parable that Jesus told, or he said a sower had gone out to sow, much like Jesus himself goes and speaks and teaches. In fact, he is sowing his truth today, right now, in this place. He is sowing truth. Truth is being spoken and taught, and it will fall into soil this morning. The question will be whether the soil that is our hearts will be ones that receive the seed and allow growth to occur, or are there other things in the soil that are actually preventing the seed from being able to produce what he wants to produce? Jesus said this soil, if it has vines and thorns and weeds in it, it can actually choke out the seed that has been planted by the sower. So we are looking to scripture to say, God, what, what do I need to de-weed from my life? What do I need to remove so that what you are doing can come to full fruit? I don't want to be the kind of believer that I have the name believer on me, but I don't have a life that reflects it. I don't want to be the kind of believer that I look today exactly like I did five years ago, 10 years ago. My life, my spiritual walk isn't any different than that. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one who's right on the leading edge of what God is doing in my life, speaking, changing, removing from my life, and adding to my life what he wants to. And I'm guessing the fact that you're here is you want that as well. Amen? None of us want to be in that place where we're exactly the same as we had always been. Today we're talking about the weed of worry and how to weed that out from our life. Worry can be like honeysuckle. Worry is one of those things that, you know, a situation comes up in our life, and here's what happens. Here's the process. If you are a believer, God is introducing things into your life to take you to a new place. He's going to deepen your faith. He's going to cut your dependencies from your past and walk you into some new spots in your life. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to grow the very character of his son in your life. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. But to do that, he has to remove some things and he has to introduce some things. So normally what happens for every one of us is we get into a situation where things all of a sudden are not like they were before. There's a challenge. There's a stretcher. I don't mean a stretcher, but a stretcher. Okay, Something that stretches you all of a sudden. Something that brings you to a new place that you haven't been before. And in that moment, you have the potential for exercising faith and say, God, I don't understand all of what you have said. 
I know that you are leading and I will trust you. I can't see the end yet. I'm here in the middle, but I'll trust you. That's what you have the potential for. But here's where the honeysuckle comes in. You see, the situation arises and our natural pattern is to pick that situation up and hold it in our hands and start looking at it and start considering all the possibilities. Well, if I do that, what if this happens? Well, if I do that, what if this happens? Well, you know, I wonder what they're going to think about me if that happens. And all of a sudden, it becomes this little game we start spinning around in our mind. We start thinking about all the possibilities. And here's what worry does. It's all of the negative possibilities. Right? Worry doesn't say, hmm, I wonder what God's going to do in this situation. No, that's not. Worry says, this problem ain't going to turn out right. This isn't going to be good. Oh, boy, you know, people are probably going to talk about you. Mm, do you I wonder what your spouse is going to think about you if you do that. You know, all this stuff. Is my finances going to work out? Am I going to be able to keep my job? I wonder what's going on with my kids. Oh, my goodness. I wonder. I'm just so nervous and so worried, so stressful, so stressed, so anxious about my life, about my family, about my spouse, about my kids, about my job, about my car, about my bills, about my house, about my social media status, about all, and all of a sudden, it's just like you've got this whirlwind going on in your mind and in your heart, and it can't rest, and you get worn out, and the weed takes over, and all of a sudden, you can't hear God because you've got honeysuckle all up in your heart, and you kind of like it. Because it feels good. It kind of tastes good like honeysuckle. It feels good to kind of control this little event yourself. To hold on to it. To spin the possibilities. To think about it a whole lot. A whole lot. When you put your head on your pillow at night. When you wake up at 2 a.m. When you get up at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 p.m. Whatever it is. Whenever you get up, all of a sudden it's right there and it grabs your attention again. And you start spinning it around, holding it, thinking about it, chasing all the possibilities. That is worry. And it will keep you from experiencing all God has for you in your life. Anybody relate this morning? Hey, I'm on the page this morning. I'm one of those who has struggled with and can struggle with anxious thoughts, worry about tomorrow, and fear. Those are all part of the same honeysuckle vine family we're talking about today, all right? So turn your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Chapter 10 is where you are today. We're going to see a story where some people, a person actually, struggled with some worry. The Bible is a very real story of real people who dealt with real issues in their life and where Jesus meets them where they are. So we're going to see a scenario where someone had some anxious thoughts some worry, some fear, some intrepidation, some anxiety, and needed to cope with it. And then we're going to see what the Bible tells us about what we do with it. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38 is where we are today. Jesus is in the peak of his ministry. He is um, he's speaking. People are coming to him. He's got people who are supporting him. He's got friendships he's developed. And one of those we're going to meet today Verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, they, he and the disciples, and an entourage. And this one occasion, we don't know how many are with Jesus. He has some disciples with him, probably some other followers of, as well. Wherever Jesus went, he wasn't by himself. 
in this situation. There were times he went alone to pray, but if he's in a public situation, there are people with him all the time. They go and he enters a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So we meet this woman, Martha. She has a house and she invites him over. Jesus, I want to have you over. I want you to come into my house. I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be able to give to you. I want to be able to serve you. Come into my house. She knew who Jesus was. She loved Jesus. And she's inviting him into her house. Let's see what happens next. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So she's got a sister. And she's there. And the thing the Bible says that we know about her is that she really enjoyed sitting at Jesus' feet and just listening to him speak. Now, it wasn't that he was just delivering these great speeches, but what she heard was life to her heart. It was very personal for her. When he spoke, she heard, and it made application right into her heart. And that's what I love about our time together on Sunday mornings. We're not here just to go through the motions. I'm not here just delivering a sermon for you to listen to. We are together sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to see what he has to say to us. Amen? And that's what Mary is doing here. She is doing that in the house. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Tone of voice added on my part. I don't know exactly what it was like, but I imagine it might have been something like that. And it might have even been a bit more heated than that. We get this picture that Martha is this person who, I mean, if she invites somebody over, this is going to be an event. This is going to be something. I mean, there's going to be sweet potatoes with marshmallows. Yeah. There's going to be some, some smoked ribs. There's going to be some brisket that's been on the fire for a, a, a while, about 15 hours. It's been smoking out there. You know, there's going to be some garlic mashed potatoes. There's going to be some, some biscuits and some yeast rolls. Mm, man, I'm telling you, if you're going to Martha's house, it was going to be good. She had some sweet tea. Mm, she got some fresh lemon cut for you to just squirt there in that tea. She's got lots of napkins out because it's going to be messy. It's going to be good. And she's, she's planned for this thing. She had invited him, Jesus, I want you to come to my house. And so you see now why the Bible says, and they entered a certain village. You're like, we're going to Martha's. Come on, everybody. So the disciples are excited. Everybody, we're going to Martha's house. So they get to Martha's house. Jesus comes in, takes a seat. People are gathered. Martha is in the kitchen. Martha, the Bible says, was distracted with much serving. Now, sometimes I've read this story and I thought, 
Ooh, Martha, you shouldn't have been doing all that. Shame on you for fixing ribs and sweet potatoes and rolls and biscuits and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't say that Martha was wrong for serving. It doesn't say that Martha was wrong for inviting Jesus over. The problem that Martha had is that she was distracted in her serving. You can serve with a heart of love or you can serve with a heart that's in a very different place. A heart that serves to try to get more attention. I'm going to try to impress you. Or I'm nervous and worried what people are going to think, so i got to make sure I put on a good impression. That's serving from a different place. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's serving to try to get something rather than serving in order to give something. That's serving and trying to see how many likes you're going to get instead of seeing how much joy you're going to just give. And Martha's in a, in a bad place in her serving. And what it does is it makes, her, it makes her go all goofy in this situation. And it makes the whole situation turn out not at all like she really had probably first intended. Because it says she was distracted with much serving and she approached him. So she goes to Jesus. Now, do you think that's really the way to go to Jesus? You approach him like, but that's kind of the impression you get here. Like she's got her hands up on her hips and she's all upset and she's, you know, she's making her way in because she's got something to say to Jesus. And she approaches him and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Mm, Martha. Of course, Jesus is real kind with her here, but just look at that. Lord, look at it. Do you not care? Oh, really? Martha, you really want to say that to Jesus? Do you not care? But see, when you get into worrying, it'll give you a completely wrong impression of what God's trying to do in your life. It'll mess you up. It'll mess up your thinking all of a sudden. Because you'll start spinning all these scenarios in your head about what might happen, what could happen, and stories you read on the internet, and stories you heard from your neighbors, and all this worst case scenario. And you got this little pain in your back, so you Googled it, and now you're convinced tomorrow you're going to die. Hello, you know what I'm talking about? Been there, done that. Oh. I remember years ago when our kids were young, I, was, I really struggled with a lot of anxiety back then. And I, I don't know what it was. I had this pain on my scalp. And I just, I just obsessed over that thing. And I did the completely wrong thing. Google, pain, head. Yeah, you've done it. I can tell. You've done that. You, I know. We've done it. And all of a sudden, of course, you know, Google doesn't come up and say, relax, it's going to be fine. That's not the first 10 responses that come up. The first 10 responses that come up are the worst case scenario. And I clicked on them. And then I clicked on the next link that came from that and the next link and the picture and the outcome. And soon, it, I mean, I'm in a really bad place at this point. And it just keeps going. And I just, 
I just let it sit there. And I keep thinking myself all worst case scenarios. I finally have to go to the doctor because I can't rest about the thing. I just can't let it go. I go to the doctor. I tell him. He looks. He says, I don't see anything. It might be just a hair follicle that's gotten inverted or something. Just put some warm water on it. You'll be fine. You'd think that would have helped. But when you worry, sometimes truth doesn't even help because you enjoy tasting the honeysuckle. You like tasting it. I like spinning it around. I like, I like considering the possibilities. I don't like it, but I like it. I like the taste of the honeysuckle. I don't like how it takes over my fence, but I like the taste of it. And that's what worry does. And Martha is distracted. She is also overdoing it. Martha was distracted with much serving. She's overdoing it. She can't relax. Jesus is in the house, literally. He was there. And all she could do was be frustrated about her sister and obsess over what she needed to do for him. And she can't rest. It'll make you overwork, overdo. It'll make you irritated at the people you ought to be loving because you've got all this stuff dreamed up in your mind about them. I'm sure Martha's got all this stuff going on in her head about Mary. That old Mary, that, she never helps around the house. She never does anything around here. I do everything. Well, she probably just thinks she's better than me anyway. Well, I'll show her. I'll just wait till my ribs come out there and I'll just. <laughs> she's got all this stuff going on in her head. But here's what worry does. You'll think about stuff, worry about stuff that has no bearing whatsoever on truth. Isn't that crazy? Our mind goes there. And that's what's happening to her. It'll make you spin out of control, dream up possibilities, look at stuff that's not even there. And she's complaining to Jesus. She's accusing him of not caring. She sees herself even alone. Poor Martha. My sister has left me to serve alone. Wah. That's what worry will do, though. It'll make you think everybody else is out to get you. You got the worst deal in life. You're all alone. Jesus has even left you. You've worried yourself into a hole and you've completely overblown the situation. It's funny what we do with all of that, even when we start recognizing it. You start saying things like, well, I mean, I mean if I don't worry about it, who else is going to? Right? We say things like, well, I mean, I, I can't help it. It's just part of my personality. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just part of me. I mean, I just, I've just always done that. And I, I just do that. I mean, I, I mean, I really can't help it. I mean, my mom, was, my mom was like that. My dad was like that. My grandparents were like that. I just, it's just me. Hello, you've just excused every sin known to man because you said 
it's been passed down to me. It's, I can't help it. It's just part of my personality. Hello, you've been made a new person in Jesus Christ. You are not who you were before. Amen? Amen. You don't have to be like you were. You don't have to do what you did. And just because you did it before you walked into this room doesn't mean you have to do it when you walk out of this room today. Amen? You do not have to. The story goes on in verse 44. It says that Jesus answered and said to her, Martha... Martha. I don't know what her middle name was. It might as well have just been Martha that day. This was a two-name sentence. This is double emphasis. This is Jesus saying, Martha, Martha. Because he knew. He knew her heart. He knew what was going on inside. He says, you are worried and troubled about many things. I used to read that and think it was because she prepared too many dishes that day, you know, or she had too many things planned for that day, you know. Well, we're going to have a, a time of sharing at the end. I want to go just right. So Mary, if you'll make, oh, Mary, aren't you going to help me? Get it. Yeah. I don't think that's really what's going on here. Jesus sees into her heart as he does us. And he says, Martha, you are troubled, worried, anxious about many things. You are consumed about so many things. You're worried about what people are going to think about you. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about what Jesus is going to think about you. You're worried about this setting. You're worried about the disciples. You're worried about one of them getting sick from your food that you prepared. You're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, what someone's going to say if they did get sick, and if word got out, and what they would say, and who, what your reputation would be, and hundreds of other things. And that's what worry will do to you. Worry will consume you. It'll spread like an unending vine, and it doesn't have a stopping point. You'll notice you never say, hey, just give me about three minutes. I need to worry about this for then, and then I'll be through. It never happened that way. You start down the worry path, and there's another offshoot, and then there's another offshoot, and then there's another link to click, and another link to click, and you keep going, and you keep going because that's what worry does. It doesn't have an ending point to it. And no one at the end of their worry time says, hmm, I feel better. I've worried about it. I'm good now. That never happened that way. Worry takes you down this dark, dark rabbit hole. I told you I've struggled with worry, fear, anxiety. I've struggled with panic attacks. I've been there. And when they were happening... The only way I knew how to put some kind of words into it is that I felt like I was going down, spiraling into a pit. And I would chase these thoughts. What's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? There must be something about me that's broken. What's wrong with me? Here was my thought for me. I must be losing my mind. And that consumed me. It created more fear for me. And I, it felt like I was literally falling down into this 
pit that got smaller and smaller and smaller. I remember having a friend over, and I was kind of going through one of these situations, and I just, at the end of it, all I could do was just scream because I couldn't get out of this pit. The further I went down, it only got darker. And that is what worry and anxiety and stress will do to you. It will lead you down a rabbit hole of despair. It will also physically wear you out. What's going on in your emotions and mind ties into your physical body. They are connected. And if you allow racing thoughts, if you allow out-of-control emotions to take over and run your life, you'll come to a part of your day much sooner than you want, and you will be absolutely exhausted. You'll find yourself at the end of the week absolutely exhausted. You'll find yourself coming up on a Sunday when you know the best place for you to be is in God's people's place where there's some hope and encouragement and you will say or convince yourself, I just can't do it. I am spent. Sometimes it's because of the physical, but it's often because of the war going on in your emotions and your mind. And all of a sudden, you are worn out. Worry will also keep you from the moment. Worry will put you somewhere else. Worry is all about what's next, what could happen later today, what could happen tomorrow or next year. That's where it takes you. It takes you somewhere else. It takes you beyond the moment. Here was Martha with Jesus in her living room. They didn't have massive houses, so I imagine Jesus is no more than 20 feet from her. And she can't even live in the moment of having Jesus with her in her house, where he has come to speak life, where he has come to help her and Mary and the disciples and the world. She's got him there, and she can't even live in the moment because she's so filled with worry. But that's what worry will do. It'll take you out of the moment when you come home, and you should be there in the evening with your kids and your, your spouse, and you should be enjoying this moment. Worry tells you, you better get up. You better go check on this. You better go check on that. You better spin this around your mind for a while. You better worry about this and that and that and that. And all of a sudden, you're somewhere else. Your body is there in your chair, but your mind is somewhere else. And your spouse eventually says to you, hey, hello, I'm talking to you. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, what would you say? Anybody identify? Hello? Okay, it happens. But that's what worry does. It takes you out of the moment. It takes you somewhere else. And worry ends up demanding some kind of coping. When you're that worn out physically, when you're that spent emotionally, when you are in this place of just confusion, I've been there, you'll have to get something to help you. And because you've already dismissed God as a possibility for your future, you'll turn to something else. I need something else to help me in my coping right now. 
I feel badly. I need to feel better. You know where I'm going next. Because what happens is that people turn to some kind of drug, some kind of alcohol, some kind of other pleasure, some kind of place, some kind of person to somehow soothe the pain because you have already dismissed way back up the road that Jesus is in the house and has exactly what you need. And so you start turning to other coping mechanisms. For Martha, it was anger. It became her way to lash out and feel better in the situation. Verse 42, Jesus continues his conversation to Martha, and he says, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I love the wording here of Jesus. Jesus is intentional with his words. He doesn't waste any. He doesn't choose random words. He's very specific and articulate when he speaks. What is the thing that worry tells you? That you could lose something. You could lose your job. You could lose your child. You could lose your reputation. You could lose your spouse. You could lose your finances. You could lose your car, your house, whatever it is. Worry tells you, you could lose this. You better sit on this. You better do something about it. You better chase down the options. You better do something. It's fascinating to me that what Jesus says is that Mary has chosen that good part. She's chosen to come and sit at my feet and receive what I'm saying to her. And here is the thing about what I'm saying to her. It will not be taken away from her. She can't lose it. And Martha was all wrapped up in what she might lose. Mary chose what couldn't be lost. Let's make some application because we're all feeling it right now. We all know what it's like to worry, have some anxiety, and maybe even just talking about it right now in the room has all of a sudden made your blood pressure go up a little bit. Hello, right? Yeah, okay, I know. It's what it does. Your stressors are up a little bit and all this stuff's going on. The answer comes to us in Philippians 4, 5 and 7, 5 through 7. Now, if you've been around the Christian faith long, you already know where I'm going. You've already got this thought out in your head. You already have heard this message before, probably, and you, you, you know where I'm headed. I think I got something for you. Six is where it normally begins, this passage. I'm going to start at the end of five, because if you don't know the context You'll do some pretext and you'll miss the text. God has something to say to us and you've got to know the story. If you want to understand six and seven, you've got to understand five first that ends like this. Let's see it. The Lord is at hand. Before you read six, you've got to start here. The Lord is at hand. The Lord, the 
Lord. The one who created all that exists. The one who made you. The one who designed your days and your life before you were even a thought in your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, chase it all the way down. Even before Adam and Eve, he had planned your days. This is the Lord. He is the one who has created all that exists today. He is the one who came. He is the one who had power over the seas. He is the one who had power over disease. He is the one who laid down his life. He is the one who took up his life and was resurrected, defeated death, hell, and the grave, paid for sin, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the Lord we're talking about here. He says, this Lord is at hand. Now, I don't know that you use that a lot in your conversation today. I'm not a phrase that you use at work a lot. But to be at hand means you are close. I mean, so close that if you needed to reach over and get some help, he's that close. He's very close. He's close enough to put his hand on your back. He's close enough to reach and give you a hug. He's close enough to brace you. He's close enough to hold you. He's close enough to touch you. This Lord is at hand. Worry tries to make you think that you are alone. That you have no one else in the situation to help you, not even Jesus. That's what worry will do to you. It'll make you take him out of the house as someone that can help. It'll make you think you're alone in the house and that it's your responsibility to chase down every possible scenario. It will make you make yourself the Lord of your life. Come on now. You hear what I'm saying? It'll make you think your future is based on you worrying about it. I have to worry about it because no one else is. I have to worry about it because what if I don't? If you don't, God will take care of you. Him taking care of you has nothing to do with you worrying about it. In fact, if you'll trust him, he'll show up even more quickly and take care of whatever the situation is. The Lord is at hand. He is close. That's what you need to remember. I need to remember when my thoughts start racing, when my anxious thoughts are rushing in, when I'm tempted to think I'm going to lose something here. It's out of control here. What am I going to do here? What about this situation? What is he going to do? What is she going to say? Stop. The Lord is at hand. He can't be any closer than he is. Then verse six comes in to play. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. Because the Lord is at hand, be anxious for nothing. You know where you and I are going to struggle the most with this verse? With the word nothing. 
You and I struggle with nothing because we want to have something. Okay, God, I trust you with my life. Oh, God, what am I going to do about my marriage? What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness, my husband, he is just, oh, he just out of control. What am I going to do? You know, I bet he's got somebody at work he's talking to. I bet somebody, I bet someone that, all this stuff. I bet my wife, oh, my goodness, I bet my wife is, I bet my children, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do about my children? My children, my children, oh, my goodness, what about my job? What about my job? Hey, I thought you gave that all to the Lord. Well, I did, but I got to have a little bit of it to do, you know. Yeah, it's not what it said. It doesn't say, be anxious for some things. Be anxious for all but one thing. No, this is where you and I are going to struggle because it means total release and surrender. God, I trust you with all of it. I let it all go. I don't want any more of this honeysuckle in my heart. It's delectable, it's tasty, it smells good when the wind blows, but it's tearing me up inside. And the most destructive thing is, I can't hear you anymore. Are you with me? Be anxious for nothing. 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 It doesn't give you wiggle room. It doesn't give you any open blanks to fill in with what you want. Nothing. It goes on in the verse and says, but in everything, 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 not just some things, not just a few things, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Everything. He says, take whatever it is, big, little, what you think is insignificant, but still captures your heart. Bring everything to him. Bring it to him by prayer and supplication. Asking, bring it to him. He didn't say, go post it on social media and see what you get. He didn't say, call up your friend and tell them first. Mm -mm. Not that there's anything wrong with finding some help from a friend, but take it to the Lord first. Because remember, where is he? He is at hand. He's not far. He is at hand, ready to assist. Then Paul throws in this little phrase, with thanksgiving. With thanks. Which means with some confidence that God hears you and he's going to take care of you. That you're surrendering the control. You give it up. You yield to him that he will work it out. And when you do, verse 7, when you do, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, when you do this with full faith, God, I trust you, I'll leave it for you, peace is going to come into your heart, and it's going to set up like guards. Shield, spear, sword, ready to protect 
your heart, and your mind through Christ Jesus. You don't have to let all the racing thoughts have control. Just because they come racing doesn't mean you have to open the door. Just because you have the thought doesn't mean you need to hold the thought. There are some thoughts we have to take captive and say, hold up, you don't belong here in this house. It's time for you to get out. You don't belong here in this mind. You're causing me to not trust. You're causing me to fear. You're causing me to be bitter. You're causing me to be weak in my faith. You don't belong. Thought, you have to go. Get out. Peace comes in and takes up the guard post. And this is what gives us sanity. This is what gives us a sober and right mind. So two reminders today as we wrap up. One. God is at work to change you. This is the work that he's doing right now in your life. He is intimately involved in your life. There are no random events in your life at all. The situations you're in right now, he is using for his glory and your good. He's using them to grow you up to be like Jesus. Don't dismiss them. But in them, cry out to him. Oh, I'm not saying you're not ever going to have an anxious thought or a worry thought. You will. But what will you do with it? This scripture teaches us to take it to him immediately because he is at hand and ready to help. He is in the process working to change you. Worry and anxiety is an indicator you don't want to go there. It means you're holding on to control. I feel better if I do the research. I feel better if I think about it. I feel better if I know all the possibilities. I feel better if I have some kind of control. Mm -mm. Bring it to the Lord and surrender it. Stop trying to be the Lord. He is the one who is at hand. And the last thing, God is at hand to settle you. He hasn't come to punish you. The punishment was taken out on Jesus at the cross. He hasn't come to condemn you. He hasn't come to threaten you. He hasn't come to make you feel horrible about your life. He has come to settle you with his peace. Would you bow your heads with me today? Heavenly Father, we are all very keenly aware of the times in our life where we want to maintain the control. We like the taste of having it in our own hand of us chasing the possibilities of trying to figure it all out instead of surrendering it and trusting you. But God, I know you want us to remove those weeds from our life because they choke out the ability to truly hear you and trust you and to truly grow up our faith. So today, we are choosing in our heart and mind to say, worry, you have no place anymore. Anxiety, you don't belong here.
You may have lived here, but no more. You may have been passed down to me, but no more. You may have been a close friend, but no more. I will only allow faith and trust into my house from this point on because Jesus is in my house. I'm not going to let anyone else or anything else keep me from close, intimate fellowship with him. And I trust him completely today. Not just with the big things, but the little things. All things. In everything. I bring it to him knowing he is at hand. So, Father, I thank you for freeing us from de-weeding our heart of worry. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to continue in a spirit of reverence today. We're going to give our offering, and the band's going to lead us in a song that you just learned. Let this be our heart's cry today. Let this be what drives us as we walk into our week. We pray in Christ's name. Pastor Brian left us with an incredible message that we have to weed out the obstacles that keep us from getting close to God. We have to put God as a priority in our lives. If you have not yet subscribed, be sure to click subscribe in the bottom corner, and we will see you next week live at 1030.